Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know the time or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and all of Judea, and Samaria, and the end of the earth. And when he had said those, these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into the heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Father, we ask that you, through your spirit, would meet us. That's what you promised to do through your word, the word that was inspired by the spirit, the same spirit who lives in Christians and the spirit who has dwelled for all of eternity with you and the son. You promised to use him to speak to us, and we need your word. So will you speak to us from your word this afternoon? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There was a team that was trying to save the world, but the, but the enemy was really too strong. He kept thwarting them at every turn. They might get in a hit with a sword or a shield. Sounds like any superhero movie, right? But sometimes they would get a hit in with Aquaman's trident. But Steppenwolf, in two years ago, DC's attempt at a Justice League movie, Steppenwolf, the destroyer of worlds, was overcoming the Justice League. Wonder Woman, Cyborg, Aquaman, Batman, The Flash were no match for this destroyer of worlds, Steppenwolf. He'd come to destroy the world and bring in more and more chaos along with his vicious, fear-seeking, weird angels of death. They were beginning to despair because everything that they were doing was not working. He was blowing, knocking them back blow by blow. But then something changed. What changed? Superman returned. He has come back to life. He's made peace with his calling. And now they've got a chance. Actually, Steppenwolf has no chance. Because Superman is the game changer. And the battle just tips the scales completely. And it's an easy victory for them. Because Superman's the game changer, nothing's going to be the same. The chaos that Steppenwolf is bringing will end. When Jesus rose from the dead and spent time with the disciples for 40 days, that's what the disciples were experiencing. Jesus was the game changer. Everything would be different. They're excited. They're longing for the world to be right. And they ask this question. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? The chaos that they've experienced at the hands of the Romans that they've seen happen to their family members and their countrymen, the spiritual oppression that they've faced with the Romans bringing in all the pagan religion, the fear that they've faced, all of this chaos has been weighing down on them. But now they have hope. Deep down their question, 
really is, will you bring order to the universe? Will you bring peace to our chaos? We don't ask it with the same words as the disciples, but we have the same longing. We long for someone or something to bring peace to the chaos that we experience in our life. We ask for it. We look for it in different places. We ask questions like, will this political leader running for president bring peace to the chaos in my life, in our country's life? Will this public policy or this ballot that I'm voting on end suffering and heartache and justice and bring the peace that deep down I'm longing for and we as a people are longing for? Or to move away from politics, will this person that I'm dating bring peace to the chaos of my loneliness? Will this new child that we're having bring peace to the chaos of the uncertainty of our future and our legacy? Will this college degree that I'm working on bring peace to the chaos of my longing for success and proving myself, even just a little bit? We want God or we want someone to bring peace to our chaos. We long for a ruler who will bring peace to that chaos in our lives. Jesus answers his disciples' question in kind of an odd way. Charles addressed that a little bit last week. He starts by saying, no one knows where the kingdom will come, when the kingdom will come in all of its glory, to end the chaos with peace. But I promise you it's going to come. Until then, I'm going to empower you to be my witnesses, to advance my kingdom to the ends of the earth. In the face of this longing for peace to be brought to our chaos, actually, Jesus, this seems a little bit cheap. It seems like you're dodging the question. But then something crazier happens in this passage. It's like some 1970s director of of movies wrote the scene into the Bible. It's like Gene Wilder playing Willy Wonka in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory is playing some version of Jesus that Road Dahl wrote into the Bible. And he starts ascending into heaven. And if you can imagine if Willy Wonka is playing the character, he'd be taking bows and waving. It seems so bizarre, especially for us on this side of modernity, to have somebody float into outer space. Some writers comment that it'd be like if Monty Python were writing the Bible. But what's going on here? It's something much more profound. Jesus has just commissioned his disciples. And in Luke's earlier account, at the end of the Gospel of Luke, he raises his hand, implying that he is saying the Lord's blessing because he is the Lord. So he blesses them and he commissions them, and then he ascends. And what is the the direction? C.S. Lewis points out that the direction is pulling us out of our suffering valley up to look up to the throne. Jesus is ascending to take his place as the king on the throne where he's going to continue to reign. He's returning from battle to sit down on his throne and continue his reign. Like we read in Psalm 2 earlier, he's the Lord's anointed returning to sit there as the king that all the kings and all the peoples of the earth might worship him. This is what we call in Christianity the ascension. If you're reading along in your Bible, that's the subheading that it almost likely has. It's the ascension. 
Instead of Jesus going on this earthly campaign to restore the kingdom of Israel, Jesus ascends to the greater throne of heaven to rule over heaven and earth and all of creation. So why does his ascension matter for you and me today as we consider the chaos of our own lives? I want to note three different things from this passage that build on each other. The first is you have a king who's like you. You have a king who is like you who reigns. And you have a king who is like you who reigns and will return. So we're going to build on them in that order. So first, you have a king who's like you. I want to point out something in this passage that's so obvious that I blast past it every time. I don't even think about it. Jesus ascended into heaven in bodily form. He is fully human as he ascends. That means that you have someone who's like you on the throne. Someone who's a human. When Jesus resurrected from the dead, the claim of Christianity, his claim to his disciples is that he still has a human body. Yes, it's a more perfect body that can walk through walls, that can disappear and reappear, that's never going to face death. But it's still a human body that can eat food, that can give and receive hugs, that can feel and express emotion, that shows body language, that shows the scars from his death, now even in his resurrection. He has a human body. It's a better body, but he still has a human body. When Jesus ascended into heaven, he still remained in the flesh as a human. The incarnation of the second person of the Trinity still continues. The ascension declares to us that God did not just play at being a human being and then leave once he was no longer on earth to say, I'm not a human anymore. Whether you're a Christian here this afternoon or you're wrestling and struggling and honestly seeking, all of us are often tempted to think of the Christian God as just acting like a human being when he became a human being. And then when he left Earth's stage, he left it behind. We don't admit it, but we think of it more like he's an actor in Hollywood. Let's think of someone like Hugh Jackman. Over the last 20 years, Hugh Jackman has played many iconic characters. He's been X-Men, uh, he's been Wolverine in X-Men. He's been P.T. Barnum in The Greatest Showman. He's been Jean Valjean in Les Miserables. But every time he plays one of those characters, we still know that it's Hugh Jackman. We might get swept up into the story and think, oh, he's that character. But as soon as he's off the camera, as soon as he's in the newspapers, he goes back to being regular old Hugh Jackman. Too often we think of Jesus in the same way, that God played at being the perfect human and then returned to the regular old God. Because of that, we think that he really doesn't know what it's like to be human. And he doesn't really care. But Jesus did not go up into the sky and then take off his human bodysuit and shed it like an actor. The second person of the Trinity who's existed for all of eternity with the Father and the Son has eternally become a human being like you and like me. So why does this matter? The Christian God is not some aloof God who doesn't know the plight of human beings or kind of forgot. He's also not like, he's also not a God that says that you need to leave your humanity behind if you're going to engage with him. He knows what it's like to be a human, and he cares about human beings. He cares about human affairs. So what do we do with this? 
I think we can be confident knowing that you and I are understood by a king who's like you. Why is Alcoholics Anonymous so successful? Because the participants realize that someone who, there's someone who exists who's like them, who gets them. The meetings are filled with Me Too moments of understanding. Brene Brown, the famous sociological researcher on shame and vulnerability, whose TED Talk went viral, who's written lots of books on shame and vulnerability, says that those two words, me too, are the most powerful, world, uh, powerful words in a struggle. The moment when one person admits to the other person that they get it, they get what it's like to be that other person, and the, uh, that other person says, yeah, you're right, you do. It's a powerful moment that creates a sense of vulnerability and courage. The king says to you, me too, with a compassionate nod when you tell him the struggles of the chaos that you're going through. Now, he doesn't have the sinful weaknesses like we do, but he's experienced all of our other weaknesses of being a human, the physical weaknesses of living in a broken world, the weaknesses of temptation, The weaknesses of seeing other people suffer, the weakness of pain and rejection and sorrow. If you and I begin to imagine Jesus as a human king who's still God, a human king, how might your relating, how might my relating to him change? How might your praying about the chaos and pain around you change? Would you pray more fervently? believing that he understands? Would you pray more diligently because you know that he knows what it's like? Would you open up your heartaches more because you know that he knows heartache too? Would you admit your struggles and your doubts to him because he knows, because he was tempted? Also hear this truth about the ascension. Not only does Jesus sit on the throne reigning, Jesus, the Bible says, sits at the Father's right hand and intercedes for us. That as you pray in the midst of the chaos of your life, Jesus is speaking to the Father about you and praying for you. The eternal Son of God, who is a human, sitting next to the Father, praying for you. Your flesh and blood is represented in the throne room of heaven. That means that you and I can pray with confidence and vulnerability. Friends here this afternoon who aren't Christians, might I encourage you to suspend your disbelief for a moment. If, maybe if, if God was a human being now, still right now, and knows what it's like to be a human being who's been abused and disowned and rejected and abandoned, and facing the pain that you've faced, Would it make him a little bit more attractive? Would it make him a little bit more easy to accept? I'm not saying that you have to be there right now, but that's the God of Christianity, a God who knows what it's like to be you. Human flesh and blood lives in heaven physically right now. That's mind-blowing. This could give us hope. Jesus is also, he's a king like you who also reigns. He doesn't just have a heavenly body and he's just chilling in heaven waiting for us to show up and arrive. Jesus' ascension means that a king like you actively reigns right now. 
In all the gospel accounts, including Luke's account who wrote Acts, Jesus says that his mission while he's here is to declare or show and proclaim the kingdom of God. And to show that he was the rightful king who came for his people. The book of Acts continues that work, even though he's not present, it's still Jesus' work as the king. Look at the beginning of Acts, Acts 1, if you have your Bible. If not, then I'll read it. Luke says in it, In the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands to the Holy Spirit to apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom. What Luke is saying to the readers is that even though Jesus is not physically present, he's still actively reigning. Jesus was actively telling them in that 40 days between the resurrection and ascension about God's kingdom. So much so that they're excited, they're baited. They're saying, Jesus, is it now? Are you going to bring the kingdom and restore the kingdom of Israel? He'd been speaking of it so excitedly that their excitement swelled up to ask that question. And it's not a bad question for them to ask. Then he answers telling them that actually you're going to receive power of God to witness to my current reign. That includes his life, death, resurrection, all the work that he has done to bring about the kingdom. But he doesn't just say you're going to tell them about something that's happened in the past. He says you're going to be my witnesses actively in the present tense right now that I'm the king who reigns. My present day witnesses of my active reign. In a few weeks, we're going to talk about the stoning of Stephen in the book of Acts. As Stephen is being stoned to death by the Pharisees, as he's dying, he looks up and he sees Jesus standing at the throne next to the Father. Again, Jesus reigning, even in the midst of chaos. Later in Acts, the apostles speak of Jesus reigning as the king over all things. New Testament writers like Paul say it again. Paul says in Ephesians that God the Father seated him, that's Jesus, at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. One of Jesus' close friends, Peter, writes a letter, and in it he says, Jesus has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers, having been subjected to him. Christianity declares that a king like you reigns right now over all of creation. Why was early Christianity so much of a threat to the Roman Empire? It was a threat to the Roman world because Christians were proclaiming that Jesus was the king. Caesars were threatened against this rival king. Local governments systematized persecution because of these Christians' claim. It wasn't just economics. It wasn't just, oh, these Christians, we think they're atheists because they're not worshiping the Roman gods. They were proclaiming something that was politically disastrous for the Roman Empire. 
The same continues today in countries where Christians are persecuted. Because anywhere that Christians proclaim that Jesus is a king, it's a threat to despotic governments. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a 20th century Christian martyr in Nazi Germany, wrote this line in one of his letters from prison when he was in a Nazi prison camp. He said, today is Ascension Day, and that means that it is a day of great joy for all who can believe that Christ rules the world and our lives. Even in the midst of chaos, you and I can still believe and have joy and confidence because Jesus reigns. A king like you reigns over everything and nothing can dethrone him. Because Jesus reigns right now, you can have the deep down confidence and joy that no amount of chaos in your life can dethrone him. Though he cares about global disasters, there's no global disaster that can dethrone Jesus. No global warming, no sun melting out and falling out, no nuclear holocaust, no global financial failure, nothing. No personal disaster can dethrone him either. No wrong decision, no breakdown of a close relationship, no displeasing the people that you long to please. No moving to your parents' house after graduation from college and feeling the shame of the neighborhood. Even moral failures, sins that bring on your fam- the shame on your family and on yourself. Nothing can dethrone the king who is like you, who reigns right now. This should give us confidence and hope in the midst of our chaos. Also, as you and I struggle to grow in our ability to share the hope of Christianity with other people, we can have confidence that the king reigns and is delighting to use us, empowering to use us, that the kingdom might expand, that his reign might continue. Even he reigns over all of it, and he's inviting people into the citizenship and into the family of God through you and me. And there's a king who reigns right now doing that through you. You can have confidence and joy in the midst of that. In the face of chaos, we can have confidence and joy. Jesus' ascension to the throne over all creation has its implications as Jesus reigns right now. But it also has implications as we look to the future. Let's think about the passage again. Put it in your mind. Think about the scene. The disciples are standing there. They're watching Jesus go up into the sky. They're getting sunspots in their eyes. It's like you or I watching a helium balloon float up into the sky, smaller and smaller, where we can't see it anymore. But they don't want to stop looking because that's Jesus, their best friend, the guy who just rose from the dead, the game changer. And there's a silence. Maybe they can hear road noise in the distance and the birds chirping. And then something breaks the silence very close to them. A voice that's actually not one of them. It's none of the 11 of them standing there. It's two men in white robes. And they say, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The king like you who reigns promises to return. Jesus presently reigns, but he's not resigned for us to stay in some remote territory of his kingdom. 
We're tempted to think of Jesus, think that Jesus views the earth like a lot of Americans view the U.S. Virgin Islands. We think, oh, that'd be a nice place to visit. That'd be great. But it doesn't factor into our daily decisions in our daily lives. But that's not the way Jesus views the earth and creation. He currently reigns as king. And as the currently reigning king, he plans to return to earth. But this time, he's not going to leave it. And he's going to bring his throne to the renewed and recreated earth. That's what the Revelation passage we read earlier says. I'm going to read part of it again. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people And God himself will be with them as their God. He already reigns as king, but he will come to make this place, this earth, his capital city. He wants to be in our midst. He cares enough about the earth and the people in it that he plans to return to dwell with us. This should give us hope and encouragement in the midst of all the chaos that you face and I face day after day, week after week. All of our fears, all of our our anxieties, Jesus says that it's worth it, that you are worth it. The earth is worth it. No amount of chaos, nothing can stop him from returning to earth here and reigning from here on earth. Earth is his special place. He wasn't just slumming it when he was here before. He's coming here again because this is the place he wants to be because you and I are here. Think about it this way. If you got news that some king from some foreign country had bought property in your neighborhood, maybe several houses, and was planning to move into the neighborhood, how would that adjust, how you, how would that adjust your property value? But also, how would that adjust how you think about your property? about your home, about your neighborhood. You start thinking, oh, I, let's pick up the litter in the neighborhood. Let's cover the potholes. You start taking pride in what you were doing. You would want to repave the streets. You would want to start getting to know your neighbors. You would talk to your neighbors about this new person that was going to live down the streets who is royalty from another land. Sure enough, sure, when the king comes, he'll be able to pay to pave the roads, cover the potholes, have a big block party. But why wait? Let's get it going right now. You'd begin to take pride in the neighborhood because of the person who is going to be dwelling in your midst soon. So how should the promise that the reigning king of the universe is going to move in next door to you affect you? It should transform the way that we think about and live in the world, in our neighborhoods. We should want to value what he values. We should want to do what he will do in the end. We should want to battle the injustices that we know that he is going to make right, but we can begin to make them right now. Friends, let your holy imagination run wild. Jesus is alive and real and reigns in a human body form. One day he's going to return. 
How might your life change then? How might your life begin to change right now? Will you be more bold as a witness to his reign like these first disciples? Will you invite your neighbors into your home to have a meal, onto your patio to have a drink, to become friends, to share life together, that you might share the glory of the king who reigns? Will it remind you of the dignity and the importance of your work, that you're not just going to escape the earth one day, but that your job as an EMT, your job as a mechanic, your job as a professor or as a teacher matters right now because you're interacting with human beings and caring for the earth? Will it strengthen you in the hard moments of parenting when you're tempted to despair and give up hope? Will it strengthen you as you're struggling in school, learning math, learning reading, reading hard things, interacting with people who are sometimes bullies and mean? Might it comfort you when you struggle, when you doubt, when you fail, when all of the chaos on the inside and the outside threatens to completely undo you? In those moments, that's when we long to hear the words of the king when he says that he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Behold, I am making all things new. We long to hear those words by the reigning king who's like you right now who promises to return. One of my favorite movies growing up was Disney's Adventures of Robin Hood. It's Disney's take on the saga of Robin Hood with foxes and bears and lions. The cowardly, conniving Prince John reigns over England while his brother, the noble-hearted Richard the Lionhearted, is off in the Crusades. Every time that the true king is acknowledged, different characters respond in different ways. But there's really just two main responses. Every time that Prince John hears about his brother as the king, he gets angry. He whines. He cries. He pitches a fit. He sucks his thumb because he is so anxious about his brother, the king, and his brother's return one day. However, every time that Robin, Marion, Little John, and all the rest of their merry band are reminded of King Richard as the true king, true and reigning king, in his one day impending return, their hearts are chill, cheered, they swell with courage. Whether they're facing suffering in the stocks or inspired to dance a jig and mock the phony king of England, the reign of the true king inspires them and gives them courage. Friends, we will respond one of these two ways to the reign of the true king and the return of the true king because there's only one true king. When Jesus left the earth by ascending into heaven, he did not get lost. He's sitting on a throne right now, currently reigning and promising to return. He oversees and orchestrates all things, even in the midst of the chaos that you face right now. He listens when we pray and knows what it's like to be human and cares about us. He's also waiting for the right day when he will return to bring all the hosts of heaven to make his capital city here to dwell with us. Him on his throne 
as a king like you and me reigning forever. But he's going to be a king this oh so much more because he is more ultimately good and more ultimately gracious than you and I can ever imagine in our weak and sinful humanity because he is perfect. The perfect human and God together in one flesh reigning on the throne forever and ever. Amen. That's where we're going. That's the king who reigns now. So will you with me let your heart long for that day even as you live right now under the reign of the king. Will you pray with me? Father, would you help us believe? Would you recaptivate our imaginations? The drudgery and the boredom and the boringness of sometimes our everyday lives numb us and lead us to forget that venture that you are the king reigning over everything and you will one day return. Recaptivate our hearts, recaptivate our imagination that we might have courage, that we might have fortitude, that we might have a gentleness with those who need gentleness because you're gentle with us. We ask that you would help us to believe even just a little bit more, even for the first time, that you are the king who reigns forever and ever, even now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.